0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in to AOA here on this Wednesday. We've got a lot coming on today's show. We're going to talk weather. We're going to talk markets. Naomi Bloom will join us later in the program. And we're going to talk discussions happening in the media at kitchen tables about that food versus fuel debate that is heating back up as ethanol demand continues to grow. Scott Richmond, the chief economist from the Renewable Fuels Association, will be joining us to talk his perspective on that conversation but before we jump into all of that we're going to talk weather and we're going to check in with our friend ed valley he is a decision support meteorologist at atmospheric g2 ed thanks for joining us today
2: how are you mike
0: Hey, I am fantastic, sir. Thank you for joining us today. And even though I'm doing fantastic here in the central part of the country, as we look out west, Ed, we saw last week, the state of Oregon Governor Kate Brown declared yet another drought emergency third consecutive year in the row. Take me out west Ed. what's the forecast look like over the summer? Is there any possibility those folks out there are going to get more moisture?
2: Yeah, it's a good question, Mike. And it's, it's one of those things where they've been in this pattern for so darn long, right? They've been, they've been dealing with these droughts, like you said, for multiple years uh, as a part of this La Niña uh, kind of overall complex that we're dealing with. And, you know, I, I think as we move forward here, um, what typically does happen in these La Niñas is that we actually end up with uh, some cooler weather in parts of the Pacific Northwest. The problem is... It doesn't always come with moisture, right? So as we kind of look, I, I'm sure you guys are, are familiar with the drought monitor and, and all those good tools that we can use to kind of diagnose the, the drought issues in in a lot of central and southern Oregon. And even parts of eastern Washington and, and much of the state of California continue to be in uh, what we call a D3 and a D4 level drought. That means that it's an extreme drought or even in some cases an exceptional Drought. So, you know, we're in a situation now where I I think it's going to take some time Uh, if this were to improve, even if we start getting moisture right away, it's going to take uh, months to really kind of deplete this deficit that we've built over the past few years. So I think, unfortunately, here for the next few weeks and even months, uh, we're going to be continuing to deal with these drought conditions out west.
0: Ed, the meteorological industry, when it talks about these long-term sustained droughts, and of course, you know, the Salt Lake Basin has been effectively in a drought for 10 years almost. When does it stop being a drought and just become the way things are?
2: Right. That's a very fair question. And and what we do here is is we look at what we call 30-year normals. So on on a longer time scale, right? So that's what we call our climatology, or what we call normal. So uh, the period of time is 30 years. So the answer to your question, in theory, would be 30 years. So we see a lot of these decadal oscillations um, in weather. So that's why we have a bigger time frame. because, as you said, we've been in a drought in parts of the southwest for almost 10 years now. But what tends to happen is what goes up must come down, and vice versa, and, and the ultimate um, best solution to provide the best baseline for normal is to use a longer time frame so about 30 years is the answer to that question once you start getting past 30 years unfortunately that's what we call the new normal all
0: right 30 years is the window and i want to bring it to the center part of the country we are looking at a lot of heat here in the immediate forecast how hot's it going to get and who all is going to see these 100 degree temps here over the next couple days
2: Yeah, so it's no doubt about it. It it It's been hot. Yesterday, Chicago hit, uh, depending on which airport you looked at, 99 or 101, Midway and uh, O'Hare there. So it's been hot. There's no doubt we've seen some heat so far this June, not much different than what we saw last year around this time. We are going to see building temperatures here, 80s and 90s, for pretty much the entire belt here today. And then as we head towards the end of the week, the northern belt, the Dakotas, the southern Canadian prairies, parts of Minnesota, Those areas will be in the mid-90s tomorrow, and then as we head towards Friday and into the weekend, we are watching a cold front move in from the west, but not before we see some more 90s here for Friday and Saturday across a majority of the belt. I think the 100s, for the most part, are going to be confined down in parts of Kansas, parts of Oklahoma, and Texas, so wheat country, winter wheat country, going to be dealing with some significant heat here, but spring wheat country also going to be dealing with some heat. And I know our friends up in the north um, have been waiting for some of this heat after what a a cool and wet start to the season we've seen.
3: Yeah, that's
0: true. I think there's a lot of folks cheering some of this heat up in the northern parts of the country. Ed, you mentioned that cold front coming through this weekend. Is that going to kick off some severe weather as it meets that hot
3: air? Very
2: possible. I I think as as we press here into that Friday saturday time frame we are going to be dealing with a couple complexes of storms moving through i think as early as thursday night and friday parts of the dakotas parts of minnesota maybe parts of nebraska and kansas as well could see some storms and then as we head into the weekend friday night into saturday morning looks pretty active in the northern belt and as that cooler air moves in here saturday sunday that could spark Additional thunderstorms, maybe parts of southern Iowa, parts of uh, the I-70 corridor, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, Kansas, Saturday night into Sunday. And then once we get into uh, later Sunday and early next week, I think we're actually going to be on the cooler side, so that should eliminate the severe weather threat. So, again, next few uh, nights looks like the Northern Belt and maybe the Plains, and then as we head into the weekend, that likely spreads eastward and southward along that cold front as the cooler air arrives.
0: Ed, do you have a sense yet as to what weather system is going to be developing here broadly over the Corn Belt this summer? Are we going to be looking at a ridge heat drought scenario in 2022?
2: Yeah, so that's that's a very uh, blunt question. I'm going to give you a blunt answer. and The answer is, if you're in the plains, uh, specifically parts of Nebraska, Kansas, and the uh, Panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas, I think you are in for a continuation of what we've seen here so far this year. Now. Further north and further east, which does include a lot of our major production area, the corn and soybeans, um, I think this ridge is going to set up down in parts of the southern plains. So the further north and east one travels, we may actually see additional shower and thunderstorm risks here into the beginning and middle of July. So while it does uh, look rather ominous, especially with the heat ongoing now and what we may see coming up, I I do believe there's going to be opportunities for precipitation. So I don't see this as a... uh, Worst case, let's call it 2012 type scenario, I don't see that. However, I do believe with the broad warmth and, and some of this dryness we've already seen develop, I, there are gonna be areas of concern here as we press deeper into July and August. However, I would just caution folks, as we saw here over this past weekend, models can change very quickly, right? And, and we've seen, we saw what happened in the markets there earlier this week. Uh, I, I think we just have to be uh, wary of, of some of these shower and thunderstorm risks And, you know, the further south and west you go across the belt, the worse it's likely going to be. Uh, But if we can get some timely rain, we know how that can work out uh, in our favor, right? So, you know, for right now, definitely on the warmer and drier side. But those storm complexes will be important to verify here as we head into July.
0: All right. We'll be keeping an eye on the sky. Ed Valley decision support meteorologist at Atmospheric G2. Thanks for joining us today, Ed. Thanks, Mike. And folks, stick around. Scott Richmond, Chief Economist at the Renewable Fuels Association, will join us in the next segment. We're going to discuss this ongoing battle about food versus fuel. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA,
4: Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Hi, I'm Secretary Tom Vilsack. In my 40-plus years of experience in the ag industry, I have seen firsthand the tremendous value and influence of the Census of Agriculture. A complete count of our farms ranches and the people who operate them that tells the story of U.S. agriculture. It highlights trends, needs, and the great impact agriculture has on every American, as well as folks around the world. Ag Census data also informs federal, state, and local decisions that will affect you and your operations for years to come. If you're an ag producer, no matter the size of your operation, urban or rural, and you did not receive the 2017 Census of Agriculture and did not receive other USDA surveys, you still have time to sign up to receive the 2022 Ag Census this fall. Every voice matters. To sign up or learn more, visit nas.usda.gov backslash agcensus. Thank you.
5: Get the coolest savings on propane during the warmest months with the Summerfill Program from FS. The FS Propane Summerfill Program offers customers the opportunity to fill their propane tanks during the summer when demand is less and prices are typically lower. From periodic propane system inspections to convenient payment options, you'll appreciate what FS dedicated propane professionals can do for you. Contact your local FS member cooperative today or visit fspropane.com.
6: Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle.
8: I like that too.
6: Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.
0: You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world
1: keeping america's farmers and ranchers informed on aoa now back to mike pearson
0: welcome back to aoa ladies and gentlemen appreciate you taking the time to make us a part of your day today 10, 15 years ago, if you were involved in agriculture, particularly in the corn belt, ethanol was a very hot topic. As we saw gasoline prices skyrocket back during the great recession of 2008. Then we had about five years where it seemed like every conversation of ethanol was also a conversation about food prices and that food versus fuel debate was going hard 10 years ago. Well, here just a week ago, Financial Times ran a story with the headline, food versus fuel ukraine war sharpens debate on the use of crops for low carbon fuel of course that's where ethanol comes in folks we are having this food versus fuel debate again and i wanted to make sure we all had our facts in order so to do that i've invited scott richmond he is the chief economist at the renewable fuels association to join us today because this is not a new topic of conversation in the ethanol space scott thank you so much for joining us today
3: well good morning Thank you for having me.
0: Let's talk first and foremost about the situation in the market right now. Scott, we've got high fuel prices, we've got high food prices. Is one causing the other?
3: Well, uh, there is some crossover and there is a lot of uh, fuel that goes into uh, producing crops and processing those crops and and then transporting the, uh, the processed items and the finished food items uh, to grocery stores. So there is a lot of energy and embedded energy costs uh, in food prices. But, um, you know, taking a step back, uh, you know, like you mentioned in your introduction, there is a little bit of talk now about food versus fuel for really the first time earnestly uh, in about 15 years. And it's understandable. Uh, why that's popped up. We're all spending a lot more on food and especially fuel, but it's important for your listeners to know that there are other factors besides ethanol that are driving those price increases.
6: Uh,
3: Ethanol's actually been at a discount to gasoline all year. Uh, Last few months, it's often been at a dollar per gallon discount or more. So ethanol's keeping retail gasoline prices from rising even higher. If we didn't have that dollar per gallon discount, and if ethanol weren't, uh, weren't didn't constitute ten plus percent of the fuel pool, then we'd have significantly higher uh, uh, gasoline prices. And uh, you know, we can talk about ethanol has not even been the primary factor driving uh, higher corn costs, uh, much less retail food prices. So, um, you know, it's understandable when inflation's at a forty-year high uh people want to know why you're going to get these sort of articles but it's really important for people to kind of cut through the noise and like you said look at the facts
0: and the facts are as we come back to that corn crop because i think when folks are talking food versus fuel their main concern is we're diverting food you know from livestock largely to fuel production but of course once that bushel of corn goes to an ethanol plant. Scott, that's not the end of its journey, either as a product or as food, is it? This this has feed coming out the back end.
3: It does, and uh, you know, it's important to realize a couple of things. First of all, uh, ethanol volumes over the last few months uh, have still been below pre-pandemic levels. If you look at the, the latest USDA WASDE report, for 2022, 2023, uh, the amount of corn used for ethanol is still expected to be below about 50 million bushels below what it was in crop year 2018-19. Uh, uh, so we're still not quite back there. Um, you know, we, ethanol is still uh, is still feeling the effects of first the pandemic and now uh, you know people slowing gasoline purchases as a result of uh, of high prices. And then, as you mentioned, uh, we tend to get about a third of the kernel comes back in the form of uh, co-products, mainly distillers grains, that are fed to you know all sorts of uh, livestock and poultry, so uh, help refin- replenish the uh, the feed supply. And then, you know, I, I might also just mention as background, your your listeners will know this, but corn prices have actually been rising for the last couple of years. You know, first we had the the very large scale exports to uh, to China, and we've had weather problems here. Uh, And in South America, and then the Russian invasion uh, of Ukraine uh, caused prices to take another leg up. So, you know, like I mentioned, uh, ethanol's not even, you know, we're below pre-pandemic levels. Uh, It's not even the primary driver of corn prices, much less retail food prices.
0: Yeah, it is interesting how ethanol has been seized on in this moment as the driver of corn price when as as you mentioned there, Scott, there have been so many other factors, not to mention just the tight overall global supply that we're dealing with right now around the world. I'm curious about this last bout we had on this food versus fuel discussion. You mentioned it's been 10 years since this has really been a, a serious topic of conversation. What was it 10 years ago that pushed this conversation out of the headlines?
3: Well, uh, it came into the headlines because, similar to where we are right now, we had tight uh, we had tight grain supplies, uh, we had uh, tight uh, petroleum supplies uh, in the market, and the you know in the in the time frame around 2007-2008. And then uh, you know took a couple of years because we had uh, some weather problems, including a drought in 2012. But on the ag side, we finally replenished. Uh, we finally replenished inventories we finally had uh, you know a, a, a really good crop that was able to do that and uh, you know after that we had I don't know six, seven eight years where um, we had fairly good weather and uh, we had really fairly constrained uh, demand growth uh, you know unless you're looking at certain commodities going uh, internationally but you know prices were, were not great i you know I was consulting for uh for uh, folks in the in the agricultural and renewable fuels side of things um at the time and i you know I remember a lot of uh a lot of conversations four or five years ago about you know people that were uh that were struggling uh farmers that were struggling because of low commodity prices and that really lasted until you know just uh just a couple of years ago here.
0: Yeah, I mean, we kind of say fall of 2020, maybe August of 2020 was the end of the the low commodity price world, at least for the ag commodities. And Scott, I think that highlights a, an issue that often gets pushed to the back burner when this discussion pops up in, in the news, which is that ethanol plants, at the end of the day, are competing as an end user for those bushels of corn, just like feedlots, just like everybody else. They're motivated by the same margins. And I'm curious in your work uh, as an economist, are plant margins still looking healthy with corn up here north of seven bucks.
3: Well, we've we've had margins uh, compress a little bit. Uh, they're still you know they're still okay uh, right now, and they're still supporting you know we've we've got uh, you know we've we've got the the highest corn prices uh, in a, in a decade. Fortunately for our folks. Uh, for the ethanol producers uh, prices have started uh, coming down the last uh, last few days, but uh, we've still got very high uh, corn prices um, the on the other side uh, you know that's on the on the cost side of the equation on the revenue side of the equation like I mentioned, ethanol has been priced substantially under uh, under gasoline blend stock at the uh, at the wholesale level so that has allowed uh, ethanol prices to uh, to be at a level where ethanol producers have been able to cover uh, you know really through uh, most of this calendar year uh, have been able able to cover uh, those increased costs and so we've been able to to be competitive uh, in the fuel market at the same time that we've been able to have you know pretty decent margins Uh, they have been a little bit lately uh, as we've gotten uh, a combination of uh, you know of, of pretty stout uh, corn prices and a little bit of demand reduction uh, on the on the fuel usage side of, of things, but uh, but overall it's been a you know it's been a considering where corn prices have been it's been a pretty good year.
0: It's been a good year, and those plants are getting that product out there. We're blending it with that high-priced crude oil, and we're bringing down the overall average cost. I mean, Scott, I think there's a compelling case to be made that ethanol is fighting inflation
3: in this environment. Absolutely. I mean, there was a study done in 2019, just before the pandemic, that looked at uh, the impact of ethanol usage toward the RFS, on gasoline prices in the United States, and the conclusion was that as a result of the presence of gasoline, 10% plus uh, of the gasoline uh, supply, uh, the price, the retail price of gasoline was 22 cents per gallon less than it otherwise would have been. And now you layer on, you know, ethanol prices that are a dollar per gallon cheaper than wholesale gasoline, sometimes $1.30, and uh, we are combating inflation out there.
0: Absolutely, and it's coming from the heartland. Keep up the good work, folks. That's Scott Richmond, Chief Economist at the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And, folks, more AOA when we return. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
1: Mike Rowe here with a gentle reminder that civilization is held together by pipes, wires, and cables. It's true. There are over 5 million miles of gas lines, power lines, fiber optic lines, water lines, and sewer lines all buried beneath your feet. And every 60 seconds, somebody digs into one. Look, if you're thinking about digging around, do yourself a favor and call 811 first just to find out what's down there. Trust me, you don't want to find out the hard way. Call or click 811 before you dig and visit safexcavator.com for more info. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network, I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, soybeans and bean oil being pressured here today by the plunge in palm oil in Malaysia and soy and palm oil in China and the $7 per barrel freefall in crude oil futures here early on Wednesday. The consideration of a suspension of the gasoline tax and fears of a U.S. and world recession is leading to weak outside financial markets. Crude oil right now down seven twenty-three a barrel, one hundred two twenty-nine. Now the grain and oilseed uh, trade again is pretty much all over the place as we see corn and wheat futures trading their way higher. Uh, USDA reported two-point declines in both corn and soybean condition ratings yesterday afternoon, though that's more or less the seasonal trend for this point in the year despite hot and dry weather across the belt as of late. Now, northern states and spring wheat condition ratings did benefit from the heat. The uh, opposite effect was seen south, though, with winter wheat ratings staying ugly as harvest advances to the quarter pole as of Sunday night and works ahead and north of I-70. Cooler 6-10 day forecast continue to cap gains, though, while a more varied 11-15 day map is bringing back normal to above normal temp chances in early July. And with the weather market fully entrenched, it's going to make things very volatile moving forward. Taking a look at current numbers on the trade, July quarter up 7, 7.67 to 3 quarters, December up 1 to 3 quarters, 7.03 to quarter, July Chicago wheat up half 9.94 to 3 quarters, July KC wheat up 14, 10.55 to a quarter, July spring wheat up five and a quarter, 11.23. July beans down 14 and a quarter, 16.66 at three quarters. November beans down 24, 14.86 and a half. July bean meal up 20 cents a ton, 4.31.50. July bean oil down 190.7147. Live cattle for June down 90-136.92. August feeders down 140, 173.90. July hogs down 25 at 112.47. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hello,
0: folks, and thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. We've talked weather, we've talked media, and conversations about food versus fuel. Next up, it's time to talk markets. Joining me today is Naomi Bloom of Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thanks for joining us today.
7: Yeah, thanks for having me
0: i want to start on the outside markets let's look outside of agriculture real quick we've got inflation still in the news we've got interest rates rising we've got crude oil collapsing naomi what is happening on the big picture here in the economy
7: well we're still hearing the inflation talk and fears of not only a u.s recession but a global recession being the main headliner this morning. Um, So crude oil prices down um, nearly eight bucks at one time, the nearby contract testing $100 support. You know, the, the supply fundamentals you know we're still at the supportive picture for energy um, but the the thought of recession or all of a sudden demand starting to lessen is weighing on prices you know furthermore seeing the Biden administration present a plan to cap the price paid to Russia for oil you know acknowledges the failure of what they had been trying to do with Russia to um, you know not allow them to be able to like export oil so we're seeing just a lot of um, administration things happening. We're seeing the recession talk happen, and those outside markets are just definitely weighing on commodities. You know, the thought would be that if a recession does happen, then commodity demand in general would start to go lower if the Fed um, is more aggressive yet on raising interest rates, um, that affects commodities from the standpoint of maybe less demand coming down the road. We've also seen, how some of the bigger, um, like speculators out there, or some of the fund groups, with uh, prices starting to fall, you know, maybe they're dealing with margin call if they had been on long positions. So there's just a kind of a perfect storm of short-term negative news that could become big negative news, and then you're hearing people talking, oh, well, this is going to be just like 2008. We're going to have you know three or four dollar corn come harvest and a little too soon to be talking about that right now, but definitely outside market is the bigger influence. And the weather cooling off for grain prices, also just kind of adding to that short-term push lower, but remember seasonally kind of normal for grain prices to work a little bit lower into late June. And then we usually get that one push higher into 4th of July weekend. So if you still have some grain to price, I think you're gonna have your next opportunity. Just give it a few days
0: and Naomi even though we've got all that negativity floating around in the broad outside markets today we've got corn and we've got wheat moving much higher well wheat much higher 19 to 20 cents here in the Chicago contract was there any fresh news in the wheat complex or was this just continued buying based on what we expect to see develop here in the US crop
7: well I think part of the wheat story today is that it was down so much the last few days wheat Prices on charts went and touched kind of that 100 day moving average, so it hit a technical target it was looking for. And I think we've priced in a lot of the negativity. Uh, we've priced in the fact that, you know, Russia is probably going to be having a bigger crop. Russia is going to be able to export more to the world. That stuff has been priced in. So I think what we're seeing today is more of a technical bounce, a technical recovery. And um, again, wheat, like corn and beans, has that tendency to push a little bit lower into late June and I think that's kind of finishing up and now it's getting ready to come up for air on a bounce.
0: What type of altitude would you expect to see on a bounce here in the wheat market? How high could that jump go, Naomi?
7: Yeah, okay, so looking at September Chicago wheat futures because the July contract is going to be starting to go into the delivery period soon, so I'll switch over to the September contract. Uh, September wheat right now at 1005, uh, it got below that 100-day moving average yesterday, and today it looks like it's trying to get back above it. If it could have a, an additional recovery bounce, I think you're looking at about 50 to 75 cents on the upside for the futures price for Chicago wheat, and then it'll hit some short-term resistance area in the form of moving averages on charts. So 50 cents, 75 cents on the upside is what my outlook would be for the short term.
0: All right, Naomi, looking over at corn. Old crop is really moving. Of course, July, same story, up seven cents, and then we've got the September up one and a half, and the December up one. Are we really still expecting to see a lot of demand for that old crop corn here as this summer moves forward?
7: Well, you know, that's a good question, and I actually called out to clients yesterday, and I'm like, okay, what's? tell me what's happening in your your area as far as the basis goes. Basis is continuing to stay strong for most everyone with that old crop pricing. And I said, okay, now is Basis strong because the demand is there or is it strong because you're out of corn in your area? And for the probably 20 folks I talked to, most of them are out of old crop corn in their bins or they have maybe less than 5% of their total production. So I think what the market is saying is that a lot of that old crop corn is gone. And so I remember last year, last year in the middle of August, you know, basis levels just started to improve and then they started to continue to improve into September and then we thought, well, surely once harvest starts, we're going to see the basis start to widen out. And it didn't because I think we were that depleted of supplies. So my opinion here, we're going to see basis continue to stay firm for now, but the futures market is going to be seeing a lot of back and forth action. For now the demand does continue to be there, ethanol plants seem to be profitable yet for right now and until they are not profitable, um, I think they stay open and they are going to try to get corn in as long as they can. You know, Down the road maybe in August or September, we might see them do a two week close for maintenance or something like that, but as long as the ethanol again is profitable, they're going to continue to be open.
0: Naomi, flip side of that question, December corn trading right now, right around $7. Those big round numbers always like to check in. What do you think we should be doing here with $7 December corn? Do you want to have a percent of it sold? And if so, how much?
7: Yeah, usually by 4th of July, you want to make sure you're about 50% contracted with your uh, new crop corn. You know, you're hesitant to go beyond that just because you're not quite sure what your crop is going to be yielding, but rule of thumb, 50 percent, maybe a little more if you're confident with your insurance capabilities. Um, Seasonals do have a strong tendency to work, you know, past performance is not indicative of future results, but there is that seasonal tendency for prices to have that last hurrah into Fourth of July weekend and then kind of work lower. 2012 was the exception because of the extreme drought. But every other year, you know, usually prices just kind of drift along a little bit lower until we know for sure what's out there. So do keep plugging away on those cash sales. And then also be thinking of even December 2023, because you're able to still get six and a quarter. If we get a recovery bounce, you'll probably be able to get 650. And so those are great places to be starting sales. Um, you know, we're, we're in a situation There's no doubt we're tight on supplies globally, but there is perception growing that slow and steady supplies will start to increase. And all it takes is that perception that supplies are getting bigger and that's what makes the market price go lower. So be aware of the seasonals and be focusing on cash sales.
0: That makes a lot of sense, especially this time of year. Naomi, I want to have that same conversation, but about the soybean market, which has a very different attitude today. We've got old crop beans down 16 cents, currently new crop November down 25. And importantly, that new crop sub $15, Naomi, we're gonna be able to climb back above that level.
7: Today's price action is important. Um, you bring up a good point with those November beans being below $15. Where they are sitting at this exact moment is on the 100-day moving average for daily charts. So this would be a big support area. We probably get a recovery bounce from here. We do have that gap that maybe is going to want to get uh, filled from uh, Monday nights open. So that's back up at about um, you know, the 15 25 ish area. Um, but what has me a little bit alarmed is that today is the first day that we are below an uptrending line that has held since December. So we want to definitely see the bean market close higher in the next day or two or we could see a further technical washout. Um, but you know, something to be mindful of with this bean market, we have the quarterly stocks report next week Thursday. We've got the acreage report next week Thursday. I don't have a clue what it's going to say because I've got clients who are like, nope, I quit planting corn and I went to more beans. And I have some clients who said, nope, I did more corn and so I don't have a good feel for where those acres are going to be. But what I can tell you, if you kind of assume demand to be strong, um, you know, right now the USDA has pegged 91 million acres of uh, beans to be planted and ending stocks are going to be 280. If acres come in just a million more at 92 million acres, assuming demand stays constant, um, ending stocks grow, but it's just 332 million bushels and then we still have a weather story to get through come August. If they at all lower acres by a million acres, and there's some groups out there that do think bean acres are going to be lower, if they lower it to 90 million acres, assuming demand stays constant, then you got ending stocks down to 229, and so then we're still in a weather market. So bottom line, we're going to see a lot of price volatility between now and next week's USDA report Thursday, and then be ready for Friday because then it's going to be going into a three-day holiday weekend. So we're going to be trading every single weather report between now and next week Friday along with that USDA report, along with the quarterly stocks report. Um, But bottom line, if you can see the soybean market work higher into 4th of July like it has that tendency to do, be focusing on the cash sales because just like corn there is that seasonal tendency for prices to then slide a little bit lower after the fourth of July
0: alright summer is heating up those marketing decisions are becoming more and more important as we get deeper into this growing season Naomi Bloom thanks for joining us and for sharing your insight on what Thank is you. moving these markets here today and, folks, stick around. We're going to have more AOA when we return. We did see some action from the White House. It turns out they might not be supportive of Proposition 12. We'll talk about that when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up.
8: I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels.
4: Soft and crumbly. Tom.
8: How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark porous and alive. Tom, what does healthy soil look like? You win.
3: (laughs) Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station.
8: As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.
1: Soil, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Soil Ship Enterprise to explore soil life, to boldly grow where cover crops have never grown before. Farmer's Log, Soil Date 31655.4 We've come across some strange but incredibly helpful life forms. We didn't have to travel far to find them, but these organisms have proven invaluable on our trip through the solar system. They help feed us by nourishing and protecting our crops. They've built our soil structure to make it more resilient to the harsh weather we encounter. Our sensors indicate they're even helping us store carbon that plants take out of the atmosphere and put it back into the soil. As you can say, our living and life-giving soil is the best thing to cling on to. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> That's soil flea <laughs> Visit your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today and learn more about the basics and benefits of soil health. This message brought to you by USDA and this radio station.
5: How many acres are you keeping an eye on? Another pair of eyes could be very helpful in protecting your ROI, especially ones that are highly trained. And that's what you'll get with an FS crop specialist. They can spot issues you might not even know you have using the latest technology, including thermal, drone, and NDVI imaging. Then they can get an early treatment plan started. Contact your local FS crop specialist to learn more about our crop scouting services. It's one more way FS is bringing you what's next.
1: well folks thanks for tuning in to aoa
0: today one topic that is back in the news is proposition 12 the california law that requires 24 square feet per sow for their gestation and this is of course a law that would apply to meat sold in california regardless of where it was produced so the state of california wants to go out and inspect uh, meat pork producers around the country to ensure that if they're selling any meat into California, it is coming from sows that were raised in, in stalls with more than 24 feet per head. Now, the American Farm Bureau Association and the National Pork Producers Council have taken this law to court. They've taken it to court repeatedly. And back in March, the Supreme Court agreed to hear this challenge. And they agreed to hear it on the grounds that California is affecting interstate commerce around the country. They're changing the way other states do business. Well, of course, the battle lines have been drawn. The pork industry is opposed to Proposition 12. Environmentalists, broadly animal welfare folks tend to be in support of it. And about a week and a half ago, ago, 12 Democratic senators wrote a letter to the Supreme Court. They they've filed the letter saying, or excuse me, to the White House arguing that this administration needs to be in favor of Proposition 12. These Democratic senators, including notably head of the House, uh, excuse me, Senate Ag Committee, Debbie Stabenow signed off on this letter, saying that uh, if Proposition 12 is found unconstitutional, if it has to go away, then all of these bad things are going to happen. And they sent this to the Biden administration Well, the Biden administration responded today. This, excuse me, yesterday, the Solicitor General, which is the administration's top attorney, they would be the ones who would present, you know, in, in front of the Supreme Court uh, if they were supposed to, they filed a brief with the Supreme Court yesterday coming out opposed to Proposition 12. This was not what I expected to see the administration do. I was thinking they would probably just be radio silent on this issue, but came out, as I read it, fairly strongly. Our friend uh, Jackie Fatka reported this letter yesterday from the Solicitor General, and their brief notes, quote, Petitioners plausibly allege that Proposition 12 has no genuine health and safety justification and the California Department of Food and Agriculture has stated that Proposition 12's confinement standards are not accepted standards within the scientific community to reduce human foodborne illness. They go on to say that Proposition 12's sales ban is aimed at, quote, cruelty to animals that occurs entirely outside of California and has no impact within California. The state may not extend and its police power over animal welfare beyond its jurisdictional bounds by regulating out-of-state activity with no in-state impact based on a philosophical objection. Brief continues to say states may not otherwise regulate out-of-state entities by banning products that pose no threat to public health or safety based on philosophical objections to out-of-state production methods or public policies that have no impact in regulating the state. This was a very strong response and as I read it a very strong defense of the existing understanding of the Commerce Clause, which NPPC and American Farm Bureau would argue does not allow the state of California to inspect pork producers facilities that are maybe in Illinois or Iowa or North Carolina. So that is one more brief that has been added to this case NPPC. The other actors are all now also filing their briefs with the Supreme Court. The Supremes will take about six months to read through everything. They're going to have their conversations, their internal disputes and discussions. And then by the time we get to October, it is expected that we will hear this case in front of the Supreme Court and we'll see how it plays out. So we will no doubt be talking more about Proposition 12 as we get into the fall of this year. Before we get into the fall, though, there is an issue. It's come up several times on today's show. I'm sure we're going to be talking about it all summer long, and that is elevated fuel prices. Currently, the national average price for a gallon of regular unleaded gasoline is $4.95.5. That's down from the record, which we set about five days ago at $5.01. Diesel prices still elevated. We set a record in diesel price at 5 dollars 81 and a here just two days ago. Today, we see diesel trading at $5.81 and a quarter set. So we're down four tenths of a penny there in the diesel price. This is having huge impacts across the economy. Naturally, it's encouraging politicians to throw their solutions out. And it's expected later today, President Biden is going to throw out a solution he'd like to see implemented, which is a federal gas tax holiday. It is expected that President Biden is going to call on Congress to pass a three month suspension of the federal gasoline tax. And uh, for those folks that don't have these numbers handy, that gas tax at the federal level is 18.4 cents on a gallon of unleaded gasoline. It's 24.4 cents on a gallon of diesel. So he is asking Congress to waive the gas tax. There is a lot of pushback, however, from both parties. Uh, prominent Democrats have expressed concern. Uh, House of Representative Speaker Nancy Pelosi worried that this move would have a limited effect on prices. Basically, it's gonna drop them by about 18.4 cents there in unleaded and uh, 24 cents in diesel. And uh, they think that consumers and retailers uh, aren't really going to see any value from this. And then of course, on the Republican side, there are claims that removing the federal gas tax might temporarily lower fuel prices. But of course, if we lower fuel prices, demand's going to go back up and that's going to carry the demand even higher. And it will be a push minus all of the income the government needs for fixing roads and so forth, which the costs of doing so are also climbing this year. So this discussion will be getting underway today. No doubt we'll be hearing lots from Congress folks defending this move or attacking this move here as the conversation about the election starts to heat up. Be watching for that news about the gas tax. And then finally, folks, we did get day late. Crop condition reports yesterday. And um, at the end of the day, corn and soybean crops are in the ground. 95% of the corn has emerged. That is right on pace with the five-year average. And the condition of the corn crop was 70% good to excellent 6% poor very poor that good to excellent category grew five percentage points from the week prior and in soybeans we're seeing 94% of beans are in the ground compared with 93% for the five-year average 83% has emerged and the bean crop is rated 68% good to excellent that's up about 8% from a year ago folks tomorrow we are going to have a conversation about aquaculture the world is demanding more protein and it's demanding all different types of protein how can American agriculture. Capitalize on aquaculture. We'll have that discussion Thursday on AOA, folks. We'll see you then. Until then, have a great day and stay safe out there. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Don't you wish your life came with a warning app?
6: Stop. That dog does not want to
0: be petted. (laughs) A heads up before something bad happens.
6: You should
0: not send that text. Uh Uh-oh. Life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome, but prediabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can reverse prediabetes and prevent or delay type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihadprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners.
6: I drive my bus in a busy city. That's why road safety is so important to me. I know that I must slow down and be extra careful when I make a wide turn. Buses need more room than cars. Everyone can help keep our roads safe. Next time you're driving, remember to give buses plenty of time and space to finish turning before driving ahead. Let's all plan to share the road safely. Learn how at www.sharetheroadsafely.gov.